Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Ribbon. This podcast is brought to you by Pete's Car Smart Kia. These guys are not here just to sell you a car, but they believe in building relationships with their customers and the community. Visit their website at petescarsmartkia.com and be sure to follow them on their social media platforms as well. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Ribbon. My name is Ryan Parnell and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and oncology nurse, Pam McMillan. Hey Ryan, how are you today? I am good, Pam. And yourself? I'm good. You know, sometimes the older we get, um, our memory isn't so good, <laughs> right? Uh, you know that firsthand from working with me. <laughs> I, I, I have a hard time sometimes recalling, especially names. And you you are sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but you are sometimes my go-to person to remind me. <laughs> Well, yeah, sometimes, but you know, can you imagine going through chemotherapy and having this fog that's uh, lingers after treatment? Uh, you know, our, our survivors go through so much only to come out on the other end with like this crazy things that they still have to deal with. Yes. And, you know, um, I think that's one of the cards that I would keep in my back pocket. You know, it's because of the chemo, not the age, right? That's right. That's right. Right. Yeah, so I'm excited to learn about a program and um, that's offered at the Dempsey Center. Um, how about you? I am too. Um, this is one of those uh, topics, Pam, that I'm going to venture to say um, seven out of 10 or, or so folks listening to this podcast, you need to pay attention to. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. And yes. the beauty of this, right, is they can go back and listen to it again, take notes. This is one of those ones definitely I think is going to be important. And as you said, uh, gosh, um, we're super excited to have uh, someone from the Dempsey Center. And then also uh, the researcher that, that did this trial and came up with this program. So let me jump right in, Pam, and let's get a, let's get a, we have two guests today for you guys listening. Uh, first of all, Dr. Robert Ferguson is a clinical psychologist an assistant professor of medicine with the Division of Hematology and Oncology at the University of Pittsburgh School of Medicine and at the UPMC Hillman Cancer Center. Uh, his clinical and research interests are the treatment of cognitive effects of cancer, which is what we're talking about, cancer survivorship, and palliative care. Uh, he is the lead author, as I said, of um, this um, study that was done, Memory an attention adaptation training, a brief cognitive behavioral therapy for cancer survivors, which is a long fancy name for really helping you retain and bring back and, and be able to function and not have that fog you were talking about, Pam. Mm -hmm. um, he has also authored numerous peer-reviewed research articles and book chapters on the treatment of cancer-related cognitive impairment and other topics related to the field of behavioral medicine. Uh, and he's received numerous grants from lots of different foundations. Dr. Ferguson, how are you? I am well. Thanks for that long-winded introduction. <laughs> it's a time filler. It's a time, yeah. So we appreciate that. You know, it speaks to the, the, the Pam and I have always said, we don't want to go, we want to go to the expert on the topics we're talking about. And that just speaks to why you're joining us today. And I tell you, I'm really excited to have someone that I think that you know as well, um, Christine Brome. Uh, she is from the Dempsey Center. And I'll go ahead, Christine, and uh, she, she's a licensed clinical social worker at the Dempsey Center, which is located in South Portland, Maine. Uh, this is probably the furthest guest we've had, Pam, from Amarillo. Maybe besides one from Canada. Oh, I forgot about, yes, I forgot about uh, our, our Canadian guest. Uh, yeah. she, she earned her master's degree at the University of New England, graduating in 2019, and has worked in the field of oncology ever since, starting as an oncology social worker at Northern Light Cancer Care Clinic in Portland, Maine, and then transitioning to an oncology counselor at the Dempsey Center, working primarily uh, with adults and families impacted by a cancer diagnosis. Now, here's the cool thing, you guys listening. She has taken what Dr. Ferguson has developed and facilitated a pilot program um, at the Dempsey Center. And uh, this is an eight-week virtual group offering with eight participants. And uh, they're, they've done this now several times. And so we're going to be able to, uh, once we learn about it, we're going to be able to talk to someone, Christine, who has actually facilitated this. Christine, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be here with you all. 
Well, I know you're going to have a, a, a lot of information to share on, on how well and some feedback on this, but Dr. Ferguson, let's kind of take it from the very basic and let's kind of talk about what MAT is. Well, um, Ryan, uh, MAT is a, it's called memory and attention adaptation training. That's the long version, but clinical psychologists like me, we like acronyms, so we call it MAT for short. It is a cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, we're taking that approach because we want to modify thinking and behavior and not just train the brain using uh, repetitive practice, which is a legitimate approach for um, improving cognitive function. But we want to go the extra step to help people make adaptations in cancer survivorship who are having memory problems. Um, to modify their behavior around specific tasks that they use memory for. So particular job tasks or home or family life tasks, such as balancing the checkbook, making sure the grocery list is complete and you don't forget items. So functional things in everyday life that we use memory for that are important. Um, I'd, I'd like to take a step back and just explain a little bit about cancer-related cognitive impairment. Yeah. Um, this problem has been studied for 30 years, and we used to call it chemo fog or chemo brain. Um, and in fact, many systemic chemotherapies can contribute to long-term cancer-related uh, memory problems after chemotherapy has stopped. But we've since discovered that it's more than just the chemotherapy. And the interesting thing is, it's not everyone who goes through cancer and cancer treatment that ends up with mild memory problems, usually in remembering words or what other people said, also processing speed, taking in information and making a quick decision with it. Some people call that brain freeze. Um, hard to make a decision maybe at a stoplight, where was I going? Also working memory, why did I walk into this room? What was I going to go get? Um, those areas tend to be affected probably in about half of all survivors. So individuals who may not have had systemic chemotherapy, but another treatment or no um, systemic therapy at all, just the surgery. It may be, um, some causes may be an inflammatory immune system response to the cancer itself. We know certain pro-inflammatory cytokines or proteins that are released in an immune response um, can cause memory problems in verbal and working memory domains uh, that persist well after treatment uh, for some people. We know even before um, people receive chemotherapy or other therapies that there may be some impairment compared to healthy controls. So we call it cancer-related cognitive impairment because of these multiple causes. And I think the good news is that the memory problems tend to be mild to moderate and tend not to be progressive. So most, most individuals won't develop um, a progressive dementia. They may, if people do, they may have a genetic predisposition to that problem anyway. Um, but um, we're now focused on how do we treat this um, multifaceted problem. So I wanted to point that out. This cognitive behavioral approach seems to be very practical. We've done several trials on it and it's been disseminated. About how many people suffer from this impairment? We don't know the exact prevalence, Pam. Um, if you look at all the research literature, you'll see variations going from as low as five to 15% to as high as 75%. A lot of those studies were done during active treatment when the person was newly diagnosed. Many people who run into these problems might've had problems during treatment and they go back and start ramping up um, their pre-cancer lifestyle, either at work or at home. And as they're taking on uh, more responsibilities, they find that they have memory failures. And you think that group that's at least a year out from active treatment might be representative of between 35 and 50%. And I say such a broad category because a lot of the research investigators also use different measurement methods of objective neuropsychological tests. And 
different definitions of what a cognitive impairment is, but there's more unification around that in recent years. When I when I meet with uh, survivors, sometimes they say, "Well, is there a test to tell me this is what I have?" You know, there's CAT scans to do this or PET scans. They want to know how they know if this is truly what they have. If you really want to look at your objective memory performance, the best way to do that is with a clinical neuropsychologist who will administer um, a series of paper and pencil and then verbal response tests. Um, there may be other tests that um, are computerized that the neuropsychologist will supervise and that will test reaction time. And those are the objective measures of memory performance. And those tests have norms on individual sample from the general population. And your individual score would be compared to that big distribution of scores of people in the general population. Um, the impairments tend to be mild. So it's not unusual that um, a cancer survivor would score in a normal range. Yet the person knows when I'm really under demand and the pressure is on, that's when I'm noticing these memory failures. And so subjective rating scales, like the FACT COG, that's a measure of um, self-reported cognitive problems. Um, usually individuals report memory problems on the self-report, but score in a fairly decent range in, on the neuropsychological test. The question is, where was that person before their cancer? And we can estimate scores based on um, some psychometric uh, measures of, of pre-cancer functioning, but those are very crude and very broad-based um, estimates. But the best way to get diagnosed and get on the road to maybe treatment is a neuropsychological evaluation, so you can get an objective measure. Um, we do know with brain scanning, a colleague of mine, uh, Dr. Brenna McDonald, who's at the uh, at Indiana University and is in the Department of Radiology, she's a neuropsychologist and imaging expert. She and I are collaborating on a large clinical trial of MAD currently. What we found is when um, we, we actually tested a pair of twins, so identical twins who are genetic copies of one another, uh, 60 year old women, one had breast cancer, the other did not. So we were interested in what does their brain activity look like when they're doing a task inside the scanner. And we also tested them on neuropsychological tests. And what we found was they scored almost identically on the neuropsychological tests. When we put them in the scanner, they also scored about the same on the task called the NBAC it's a visual memory, working memory task. And, but the twin who was exposed to chemotherapy and who had breast cancer, there was greater activation of the neurons in the cerebral cortex. So the outer part of the brain where we do reasoning and processing, that seemed to be working harder to get the same performance as the non-cancer twin. Mm. So, and the only other difference was is the self-reported cognitive function was much worse in the breast cancer twin than her non-cancer um, identical, uh, genetically identical copy. So we had hypothesized that when the brain is under load among people who have cancer-related cognitive impairment, the brain seems to be working harder to get, achieve the same level of function. And many people will report mental fatigue and this has since been replicated in other brain imaging studies. We're about to do some more analysis on that now. Wow, that that is so that is so interesting to think about the twins. That yeah, I mean that's just incredibly interesting. I find that very fascinating. You know, it reminded me, Pam, when Dr. Ferguson was talking about um, kind of a self-reported. Um, you know, cognition and, and, and rating. It reminded me of um, when we did our podcast talking about sleep and getting sleep. And it, I believe our guest said, you know, if, if you don't, if you're not aware about if you snore or if you're getting good sleep is ask your partner, um, they'll tell you. And I would imagine too, Dr. Ferguson, asking the spouse or a loved one of someone um, might be another possible way to help 
say, oh yes, they're suffering from this cognitive inhibition and impairment. Would would you say that's that's true as well? That's that's often the case clinically, and I think uh, Christine can speak to the same. We often have spouses who have reported, um, you know, my my partner is repeating thing questions. Um, we just talked about this yesterday or this morning. Um, they're omitting some numbers from either the, the bank account or um, had forgotten to pick up our child at soccer practice. And um, unfortunately, sometimes that can also cause a lot of relationship strife that the survivor may be seen as irresponsible or uh, neglectful. Um, other times, family members will tease uh, the survivor. Um, so many times it'll be picked up by spouses and we'll get that report. Wow. I bet so. so with, how was this program developed and what areas is it focused on? Well, this is, uh, again, cognitive behavioral therapy is a term you might hear a lot. And that's, and there's a lot of cognitive behavioral therapies with an S. Um, it's modifying thinking and modifying behaviors. And I was trained uh, in my clinical training um, in how to develop cognitive behavioral therapy. So look at a problem like cancer-related cognitive impairment and try to figure out, are there any thinking patterns or behavioral patterns that might be maintaining the problem that we can modify to either reduce or get around the problem? So we had hypothesized this stress diathesis thing that the impairments tend to be mild or moderate and under normal conditions, the survivor can do pretty well, but we put more performance demand um, such as on the job and having to meet a deadline and then having, being, having distracted with something at home or all of a sudden a car repair is needed. Um, those things can throw the survivor off. So we developed this program to, uh, to put it into eight visits, about 45 minutes a piece. And we designed it to be uh, administered through telehealth. And this is back in the early 2000s. In fact, one of the NIH reviewers called that idea preposterous. <laughs> and, um, and I've been doing telehealth for over a decade, well before the, the pandemic uh, with this. Um, because we have, if you've already burned your bank accounts, and your paid time off getting active cancer treatment, are you going to travel two, three hours one way to the comprehensive cancer center to see your cancer psychologist or counselor or nurse who's doing that? And we said, probably not. We have to go to where the survivors are and to reduce the time and make it convenient. So in those eight visits, the first thing we do is some education. What cancer-related cognitive impairment is and is not. It does not appear to be a progressive problem, but the problems can get in the way of everyday activity. After the education component, we also um, help people to monitor where and when they're more likely to have memory failures that bother them. Um, because there are some conditions that the memory failures don't happen but some survivors may find at the end of the day when their cortisol stress hormone is higher and they're a little more tired, they're more susceptible to memory failure. So we help target the situations and what specific tasks you want to do, um, perform well on. And then we teach a lot of compensatory strategies. So some of those strategies might be self-instruction or talking yourself through a task, such as a cooking task or if you're transposing numbers on two computer databases um, so you can keep track. Um, other compensatory strategies might be keeping an organized, simplified day planner and turning off distractions like uh, cell phones or um, other alerts that are on your computer. So we go through those things. We also um, take into account stress management. Um, a stress brain is a distracted brain. It's hard to encode things you're not paying attention to and recalling them later. So we teach cognitive modification skills to reduce catastrophic interpretations of memory failures. Um, also, we help people with self-regulation skills 
how to be a good relaxer in daily life. Um, and we also help promote good sleep habits. And each survivor has a different pattern of what they choose from Matt to do. So I'm sort of like a menu that is tailored to the individual. Some people's sleep is fantastic, yet they're still having some of these daily memory problems. Other people, not so much, and we can modify their habits and improve their sleep quality, probably improve their cognitive clients. So that's what we do in the eight visits. And um, we found that uh, we are getting good results on neuropsychological tests as well as self-reported outcomes. We've had four trials of MAT. We, we are currently undergoing a large uh, clinical trial with brain imaging pre and post with the functional MRI technology I told you about before. We believe that the cognitive behavioral therapy could enhance some of that cortical networking that I discussed earlier. We found that in uh, using MAT with people with traumatic brain injury, that seems to be the case. Um, we're trying to figure out that happens in breast cancer survivors. Wow. Pam, it sounds like um, it's in very manageable bite-sized chunks and, yes. and it's progressive. You know, um, Dr. Ferguson, you said something that I wrote down really quick uh, because I, I can relate to this. Um, and I've not had chemotherapy is a stressed brain is a distracted brain. And I'm going to, I'm going to take that to heart and, and help remind myself of that because I, I can relate. Pam's probably going, Oh yeah, I, I can, <laughs> but that's a powerful statement. And I cannot imagine, uh, uh, someone who's got the, um, the issues post-treatment on top of being stressed about finances, being stressed about families, you know, relationships, whatever the case may be that, that follows them along after their treatment. Um, that's one of the things we try to focus on is relaxation, whether it's, you know, coming to our, our oncology massage therapist or yoga class or Tai Chi um, walking group, which, you know, um, being outdoors is um, a tremendous help for, for survivors. And so that right there, I think is, is a, is a key takeaway I've already grabbed from this is, is, is that's why we need to stress working on relieving stress. Take those mini vacations. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, and so you, you said you've had, um, two trials and now in, in a large, large clinical trial, is that right? Yeah, we've, we've, you know, usually when you develop these treatments, we started with a small single group trial, then we graduated to a, a small, what we call weightless control, randomized control trial. And, um, and then we did a telehealth um, randomized control trial. And this is when I had uh, done my training and started my career at Dartmouth Medical School, where I began this work. And, then I was in Maine for a while, my home state. That's how I got to know the, the Dempsey Center, to whom I'm very grateful they took care of my father with his uh, struggle with cancer. And so I've done some talks and that's how I came to know the folks at the Dempsey Center. Um, but, and now we're on a large clinical trial in the state of Indiana, state of Pennsylvania, where we're doing MAT um, versus a supportive therapy control condition, which is general counseling with empathy and uh, patient and counselor alliance and problem solving yeah. versus math. And, we're, and we'll, we'll see what the outcomes say. And we're, we're very interested in what happens to the brain if there's increased networking that would mean that the, the brain cells are communicating better and more efficiently. And hopefully that translates to better performance in daily life. This is one of those things for our listeners you can take away from this that this has been extensively studied and developed and put into practice and tested. And then now we have the opportunity to transition to Christine and say, okay, let's talk about this program being put to use. Um, you know, Christine, you, you were one of the um, facilitators uh, for the pilot program at the Dempsey Center. And mm -hmm. so um, walk us through, if you can, um, kind of your experience with Matt. Yeah, yeah, sure. 
Um, similar to, to what Dr. Ferguson was saying of really breaking it down into those bite-sized chunks week by week. And, um, you know, to begin with, uh, each clinician gets a manual to kind of go off of and read through every week, just as do the participants. So there's a survivor workbook that they get to follow along with as well, which I think, you know, those tangible things to read along and to reflect on are so helpful to have as they move through this as well. Um, and, you know, the biggest takeaway that we found and what we've heard from our clients is the sense of community that they get from being around others that are experiencing similar difficulties. You know, the stories that come up of, I was driving to the grocery store and I couldn't remember how to get there all of a sudden, right? Or I parked my car, I came out, I couldn't remember where I parked it. Or I met someone and then I met him again and I didn't remember. And so many of those instances are so common yet feel so distressing and, and can be so shameful for the people that are experiencing them, right? And so I think the biggest part of it is, oh, you feel that way? You experience that? Oh, I do too. Okay, good. Well, that lowers the stress kind of right away. And that, that um, catastrophic thinking that Dr. Ferguson speaks to is just having some sense of shared experience. Yeah. I so remember was it designed to be individual or as a group program? Well, that's what's great about Christine and the Dempsey Center is they're actually doing this in a, in a group setting. And we've done our clinical trials just with individual counseling. So it's another empirical question that we should study and evaluate to see if it's effective in a group setting with the added component of interaction between participants. To me, it would be probably beneficial to be in a group so that you can know that you're not alone. Right. I remember I mean, yeah. one of the first things, Pam, when we opened up our center that uh, you told me there's a lot of reassurance that you're not the only one going through this and, you know, we, we can work together on this. That's a big part of our, you know, our, our model and our services. We offer support groups, you know, we offer educational programs really so people can kind of be together with, with their experiences, likely different yet still similarities, right? And I think that that's a big piece of this. What I also find in here each week is um, the dialogue around, you know, the different strategies Dr. Ferguson talked about, what people found worked, what they didn't, here's what they tried, oh, I'll give that a shot, you know, a lot of um, collaboration among the participants to, to kind of keep, keep giving it a shot. Kind of like a group project, right? Yeah. Well, like they get homework every week. So. I noticed that. I noticed that. And, you know, we leave our listeners with homework every week as well. And I noticed in the, in the eight visits um, on the, the, the schedule that the last bullet point, Pam, is homework. <laughs> so I'm like, we, we, are, we are on the same page. And so it's limited to eight, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a small group. Mm -hmm. um, which gives everybody an opportunity probably to participate and learn from each other and share. Yeah. And then tell us about the, the tele and virtual. Cause I know that um, obviously this was, this came around as Dr. Ferguson said around the time of COVID and we've seen through our counselor here at the center um, doing both and still mm -hmm. reaching people from far away as, you know, yeah. several counties away that we serve um, being able to take advantage of services um, that they probably wouldn't normally be able to. And I guess that's probably a benefit you're noticing as well, Christine. Absolutely. You know, with the Dempsey Center, you know, we're located in South Portland. We have two physical locations in Lewiston and South Portland. And then we have a third location that we call Dempsey Connects, which is all of our virtual offerings. And so with that, we're really able to, to reach people all throughout Maine, which if you've been here, you know, it's not a teeny state. So there's, there's people in all, all different corners and the benefit of, of the virtual offering, especially with Matt is, is they get to come together and, and be, be in the zoom room, but it feels like you are, I think, together and, and sharing that space. Um, you know, the format a little bit is each week is we'll start kind of checking in how the past week went, what you found, and then go a little bit into the educational pieces. I, I do a PowerPoint that I share my screen on. So we kind of read together with that and then talk about, talk about that, right? And, and what we think will work for the following week. And that's, you know, it's a pretty, pretty flexible format in that sense, but hitting on all the, all the points week to week. 
So with the eight participants, are they all the same type of cancer, have the same type of therapy? No. So we serve and, um, you know, help anyone with, with any diagnosis um, and any kind of um, any stage. And so what I found is, um, you know, a, a variety, most some breast cancer survivors, some ovarian cancer, um, you know, a, a few lung cancer survivors. This new round I'm doing is a group of eight women, all with a variety of diagnoses and, and all underwent chemotherapy and treatment. And so that's a little bit of a newer thing for, for this round for us. Um, but yeah. Is there, so, is there a sweet spot for this program? Like the ideal, you know, participant is X number of months out of treatment or, or does it really matter? Maybe Dr. Ferguson, that might be a question for you. Yeah. That's such a great question, Ryan. We've, in order to do the sort of the clinical science behind this, we had to have a, a group of similar uh, participants. So we've focused primarily on breast cancer survivors who are at least a year out post chemotherapy, but not more than five years out. But part of the reason is you, you want to know what what accounted for the results. So you control for variables and factors such as disease, um, uh, what stage the person had a disease in. Um, so we really haven't really evaluated people with metastatic disease, for example. Um, people with metastatic disease may have more cognitive problems than people with non-metastatic disease or those who are in remission. So we have those questions. So we sort of focused on that one population. However, clinically over the years, I've seen patients with all sorts of different types of cancers at different phases. And mostly it's post-treatment, but a good question is why not cut some of these problems off at the pass and see people as they're finishing active treatment? Uh, depending on how rigorous the treatment is, some people may not feel well enough and be very tired or very sick. And, really not want to either get on video conferencing or come to uh, my office here at Hillman, for example, or travel across town to see uh, Christine. Makes perfect sense. And I guess, Christine, you're, you're, you're taking all comers. Yeah, you know, a similar timeline to what Dr. Ferguson mentioned. We don't have anyone that's in active treatment at the moment, you know, with chemotherapy. Um, we've had a few that are on uh, hormone therapy. So, you know, kind of that extended time. Um, but, but no, nothing, nothing too um, exclusive at the moment. One other limitation I would add, Ryan, is that for individuals with more severe cognitive impairments who have difficulty with activities of daily living, carrying out dressing, mm -hmm. feeding, and bathing, who might have an aggressive tumor of the brain or the central nervous system, this program is really not intended for people with severe yeah. cognitive impairments or yeah. more mild, moderate impairment so they can do a lot of self-guidance. Yeah. Out of curiosity, you know, we hear about the side effects of COVID and having problems with uh, memory in the brain. Would this be a program that would be beneficial to those people that have had COVID that suffered it? That's interesting because this long COVID um, phenomenon that we're beginning to observe in a subset, it's not everybody who's had COVID. You know, I was, I was boosted and vaccinated very, very early on and I went to Maine, I get Omicron. <laughs> and then I probably had it again, even though I tested negative, but I'm pretty certain I've had uh, COVID twice. Unfortunately, I don't have any COVID fog, at least that I know of, although my, my division chief might disagree with me. <laughs> um, but long COVID might have a similarity to one of the mechanisms in cancer-related cognitive impairment. Um, that that's still being investigated by a researcher at Yale University, a neurologist who's um, interested in that mechanism, but uh, we don't know. And in fact, Indiana University is interested in evaluating that in uh, individuals with long COVID. There's a psychologist who's actually part of the study team with me, but also works in uh, the Department of Pulmonary Medicine. And she may be pilot testing with uh, those people who have some mild cognitive impairment after COVID-19. So we'll see. Yeah. Stay tuned. 
<laughs> Who knows, right? So Christine, um, for our listeners, they're thinking, man, this program sounds perfect for me. Is it available to those here in the state of Texas? Dr. Ferguson might be able to answer that actually better, but for, for the time being, the Dempsey Center, um, for our clinicians that are offering it, we're licensed in the state of Maine, and so that's where our um, our restrictions are at the moment is serving those in, in Maine, but never say never. <laughs> Stay tuned, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, part of the restrictions are with the jurisdictions of each of the 50 states, they license uh, psychologists, clinical social workers, nurses, um, occupational and speech therapists who can typically do MAT. We, I've trained all professions um, that have some experience with cognitive behavioral therapy, but crossing the state lines, it depends on the licensing board for the profession. And um, for clinical psychologists, there is a, I think now 35 state consortium called SIPAT, and um, that allows uh, telehealth services to be delivered. I, I'm, I'm getting on the stick just before I get on today. I'm going to apply for my SIPAT. I'm going to be collaborating with St. Jude and Indiana um, University uh, for uh, we're going to modify MAC for survivors of childhood cancers who are in a young adult phases who are just starting out in life. And yeah. we have to make some modifications and pilot test that. But if I'm going to be the clinician here in Pennsylvania and I'm seeing people in Tennessee or Arkansas or Indiana to pilot test this, I have to be part of the SIPAC licensure. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the barriers. Um, that being said, I've trained um, uh, cancer centers in Matt. Um, actually, in 2013, I trained the British Columbia Cancer Center in Vancouver. Um, they were interested in this because they wanted to do a similar group format, and they have, just like the Dempsey Center, um, they have a very large catchment area, the Yukon Territories, British Columbia, and Vancouver Island and the islands offshore. Um, so they've been doing MAT. I've also trained uh, cancer centers in the UK, uh, the Beats and West Cancer Center in Scotland and Glasgow, um, and also in Wellington, New Zealand. Um, I think a bunch of other places, Lee Moffat Cancer Center in um, Florida, uh -huh. um, they're also uh, doing MAT. Um, and I think it's more sporadic. I think that what's exciting about the Dempsey Center is the group format and using this in a large uh, state like Maine, where people have a difficult time traveling for their survivorship care. Pam, I, I'm hearing voices in my head, and I'm going to, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm going to attribute those to those listening, saying we need this, we need this, we need this. Um, so here's what I'm going to say. I, I'm going to I'm going to commit to our listeners, uh, much like we committed, Pam, to asking the hard questions and figuring out the hard answers and finding the right people, I'm going to start asking the hard questions um, about trying to get and find someone that we can have trained in Matt, and then maybe working, Christine, with you guys Absolutely. at the Dempsey Center of how we can do a pilot program here for our survivors in the Texas Panhandle, because this is, this is incredibly important and i think it is um something that we can facilitate and so i love that i really love love that yeah absolutely i right. i think there's i'm a big i'm a big fan of not reinventing the wheel um, <laughs> and so you guys dr ferguson you guys have done the research and you've done the the study and you've you've, you've put it together you've done the trainings and christine you guys have been doing this um, we, we certainly have some, some learning we can take from you guys. So I'm going to commit to our listeners. That's my homework. But, um, I, I do have another question though, for, for you, Christine, you know, do, do you find, cause uh, it, it's hard for me in particular. And I know, I, I think I speak for Pam as well, because we've had these discussions. It's hard for me to commit to something like five weeks, um, six weeks, uh, you know, committing to an eight-week program 
Is that challenging for folks or do you find that it is so compelling that, um, gosh, they, they're, they're, they're seeing benefits so early, they, they can't wait for the following week? Yeah, I think it's a, a more of the latter, Ryan. Um, what we hear is by the end of the eight weeks, wow, I can't believe that was eight weeks. That flew. Um, I think what's also helpful is each week is, is different. So, you know, you have the opportunity to, to do some homework on, on the past week and then look forward to what the next strategy is or what the next informational piece is. So it really builds and it's different and it, it keeps, um, it keeps people engaged. You know, we haven't, for the one programs we've offered, we've had all eight participants come all the way through all eight sessions. So, um, it's a pretty, you know, um, yeah, pretty sought after and committed program. That's fantastic. That was my yeah. follow-up question was going to be, what's the finish rate? And uh, you <laughs> certainly can't beat 100%. Those odds are always in our favor. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to tell us about the program? Well, sure. I think Ryan brings up a very good point. There, you know, there is... There is a workbook and it's published by Oxford University Press. Here's my disclosure. I, I made $186 in royalties last year. And, <laughs> and the co-author, uh, Dr. Karen Gillick, has a wonderful um, private practice in Lebanon, New Hampshire. She was a colleague of mine at Dartmouth. And, um, and the workbook is published separately from the uh, clinician manual. And um, don't confuse the two, because if a survivor buys the clinician manual, they shouldn't operate heavy equipment or drive after reading that. Um, they'll put you to sleep. Um, but, the, but the workbook is very good. And some patients um, and survivors will go through the first visit, and they kind of rethink um, their memory failures as a result of cancer. And right away may say, well, yeah, I have some of these problems, but I think I know what to do, I'm good. And after the first visit, and I'm delighted with that, we're, we're done. So you know, if you have a question, call back. Um, so people can self-select, and we're actually trying to do a condensed, condensed class to uh, make it really convenient for people. But we, we'll see how that works out. But um, you can get the Matt Survivor Workbook online on Amazon. Uh, it's available, readily available to people. The the neat thing too, I, I, I'm taking away from this is it's ever evolving, and you know it, you're 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 studying the lo a longer a larger study, but trying to figure out how to condense it and make it to where it's more convenient. Maybe, um, of course, being super easy to do via telehealth. I mean, is as convenient as it gets. Yeah, and some some survivors prefer to to come in the office or to prefer to be in a classroom and providing that option, I think is, is key. Um, what we really wanna do is reduce travel and time and expense burden for survivors, just because of the incredible costs monetarily and, and time-wise to families and uh, survivors. Absolutely. What an awesome program out there for our survivors. And there is hope. Um, and that's what we always like to bring, right? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Thank if you. I could say, well, if I could say one more thing, this will probably be one of many treatment options coming in the future. And there are other programs out there. There are computerized programs for people that don't want to do the behavior change that we have. And there are different medicines that are being trialed. Um, and they all have their benefits and their shortcomings, including Matt. So um, there are more, there are going to be more choices on the horizon, but also healthy lifestyle, exercise, 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 and sleep well, and watch your stress. Um, that would be, that'd be very helpful. Wow, Ryan, did you hear that exercise? I know. Do we sounds, have anything to offer for our patients? It sounds like some of the things that go on here, you know, uh, it, it's funny too. We always say we're not all about exercising, but it is a, it is a key component. And of course, we're not talking about, you know, training you or um, exercising to the point where, you know, you're ready to go run a marathon or do a, you know, competition of some sort. It's simply taking you where you are and moving the ball down the field and, and being better tomorrow than you were the day before. And so 
Um, that's what we focus on. And so if you hear us talk about our wellness classes, you hear us talk about our, our walking group, you know, again, it's not speed walking and it's not any of the, you know, stuff. It is simply just in being in community, uh, being a part of a group and take and being active at whatever level you can be. Right, Pam? That's right. Oh, and the last thing I forgot, right? What does it cost, Pam? Nothing. Nothing. Free. Everything we offer at the Survivorship Center here, you guys that are listening, it's free. It is entirely free. And so uh, take advantage of those things. You know, I think the homework um, today is to schedule time for yourself, whatever yeah. that might be, coming to support group, finding out more about the MAP programming, looking up the Dempsey Center, seeing how cool their center is, much like ours. Um take time for yourself, you know? Yeah. And they have a virtual platform. Christine, can you tell our listeners how they can access the virtual platform? Yeah. So if you just go to DempseyCenter.org, um, we just revamped our website. So all of our information on, on educational programs and, and offerings for those outside of Maine and throughout the United States is all available on there. And, yeah. and okay, I was going to say, have, let, yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, like you all there, um, we also offer our services at no cost. So that's a, a big piece of our, our mission as well. We finally found someone, Pam, that's like us. <laughs> no, I know. Here's, here's the thing. You, you guys listening, I know, again, the voices are going off in my head. And Pam, I, I can't believe you haven't asked Christine yet this question. So if you're listening and you're wondering, Dempsey Center, Dempsey Center, how does that name sound familiar? <laughs> they, they it, it go it belongs to somebody right Christine the, the name Dempsey Patrick Dempsey yeah mm -hmm. so our listeners now are going I knew it I knew it <laughs> so yeah have, and I guess Pam go ahead and ask the question Christine have you met P Patrick I have mm -hmm. yeah this is lovely as you think he would be he's <laughs> <laughs> got a cool story and the whole I had attended uh, ONS Congress and he had challenged us as nurses to come out, reach out to the Dempsey Center, see how we mm -hmm. can partner with each other. And so I did that. And so um, thanks to this message, we um, got connected and you got to share about the program and we got to learn from Dr. Ferguson. So um, we're grateful for that. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. So that leads us to our last segment. It's Pete's uh, Powerful Moment. We are sponsored by Pete's Car Smart Kia. Do you have a powerful moment that you could share with us? Dr. Ferguson, do you want to go first? Yeah, I, I put a little thought into this, believe it or not. But um, I guess I can tell you about a, a kind of unique Matt story um, of a patient who is a 50-year-old man who had a squamous cell carcinoma of the tonsil and not only underwent extensive surgery of the oral cavity, but also underwent uh, a pretty rugged chemotherapy regimen and also uh, stereotactic radio uh, therapy. So um, he had to wear a mask um, to remain, remain incredibly still for some targeted radiotherapy at the back of his throat. Unfortunately, I, I suspect the beam of radiation affected the hippocampus, which is um, uh, seahorse-looking structures deep in the brain where memory is consolidated. So he had more than mild, these were moderate neurocognitive impairments. And this was somebody who, because of the economy, had to reinvent his career and then go into aviation um, mechanics and was a mechanic supervisor. He was terrified that he was going to kill people by forgetting a crucial step. Um, he did make a career shift. With, with Matt, we also said, well, this is about adapting. What can you adapt to? And he um, was on disability, but had taken on an interest in geology. So there was an interesting set of adaptations that this person made yet again in life and was managing impairments fairly well. So that was a very powerful case and it's 
what we try to do as clinicians. I, I, I love the science that I do, but I learn more from patients than they learn from me. And I learned that the influence of stress and adapting and change that one undergoes with cancer um, can have a lot of downstream effects. And it's just gratifying to know that working together, we were able to make some good adaptations and uh, a, a good ending. Wow. Powerful moment there. It's, it's a very powerful moment. And it's it's something that uh, hopefully our listeners can uh, look forward to, you know, and, and, and understanding. Christine, did you have a powerful moment for us? You know, just thinking about um, the ability to continue offering this program to our clients and, and hopefully expanding that. I think um, the plan is to have it be part of our core programming now with we have a wait list on everyone we offer and, and it's been, um, it's been so well received and, and so special to be a part of the community that's created through this offering amongst our clients. A program that's much needed. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Pam, I've, I've got my own homework. Uh, I'm going to be reaching out to, to both of you guys, Dr. Ferguson and Christine, to, to begin some discussions on, on how to implement this program and, and uh, begin some training. Um, I, that's my promise to our listeners and, and uh, want to make sure to follow through on that. But thank you guys for joining us today, but more importantly for the work that you're doing and the continued work, Dr. Ferguson, uh, I would imagine there'll be um, some adaptations that go on to Matt down the road. And I, I think that would be um, something our listeners could, could greatly look forward to. Thanks very much. And thanks for having me today. I love talking to you folks. Good deal. Good deal. So Pam, I tell you, um, this, this was really interesting. I mean, we, all of our topics are interesting, right? I, I would be remiss if I said, ah, oh, we have a boring topic. Maybe the one with that, that you and I were hosting together might not have been so interesting to some folks, but this is so powerful. It can touch so many lives. Yes, every cancer patient knows someone that has suffered from cognitive impairments and, you know, it's a hopeless feeling, but there is hope out there. Yes, absolutely. So again, that's our challenge uh, uh, for us, but our challenge again and the homework for you guys that are listening is to get involved. You know, Dr. Ferguson said a stressed brain is a distracted brain. And so if you are struggling through some distractions, some memory, some impairment um, due to your cancer, um, you know, get involved in a, a stress relieving class, you know, maybe go back and listen to one of our very first episodes, Pam, on self-care, um, where Mary Margaret Gertie gave some great tips and great ideas um, on so I think one of the things was was picking weeds right that was one of the self-care items that, she, about that. <laughs> I know which is really comical but um, take a listen to that and maybe there's some ideas in there that you guys can take heart of to relieve some stress so you have a less distracted brain and then make sure you join us here next week for another great episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond the Ribbon. Make sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media for news and updates. If you'd like more information about the 24 Hours in the Canyon Cancer Survivorship Center, please visit our website, 24survivorship.org. Thanks again, and we'll be back next week.